wise men follow him, they rose again. Wise men follow him, thank God for the renegades and the lives they Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. You're hearing this on Saturday, July 16th, 2016. And Saturday, there's a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 1 p.m. Partly sunny, high near 83, northeast wind around 5 miles an hour. Becoming calm. Chance of precipitation, 40%. Saturday night, chance of showers before 10 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a low around 60. Light west wind. Chance of precipitation, 40%. Sunday, mostly sunny. High near 81. Light and variable wind becoming west around 6 miles an hour in the afternoon. Sunday night, mostly clear. Low around 59. Light southwest wind. And Monday, a chance of showers with thunderstorms also possible after 2 p.m. Partly sunny. High near 83. Light south wind becoming southwest 5 to 9 in the morning. <clears throat> southwest is a... Uh, Warm and humid direction for the wind. And, of course, northwest is is the clear and low humidity and cool direction. So we're, we're going to have a few days of good weather. It was hot and muggy earlier this week. And then uh, Thursday night, some people had some severe thunderstorms come rolling through. And... Uh, here up at the camp on the lake, we were in one of those one of those gaps. We didn't get any rain. It just uh, it went south of us. It went north of us, and we were it clouded up and you know looked threatening, but it didn't happen here. Just, once they get a good vertical component in a thunderstorm, it sucks everything around it up into the thunderstorm, including light planes. You don't want to be in them. So uh, they had uh, they had pilots in Vietnam that uh, North Vietnam they'd have thunderstorms and they'd be flying in there and uh, somebody would eject and be floating down and then he'd get all back up in the parachute rising and uh, one guy was up there for a considerable length of time before he finally descended and and landed and got rescued. Quite an adventure. Gas prices in Maine. Gas price in Monmouth is $2.13. Gas price in New Harbor is $2.59. 46 cents higher. It's a little place, and people in New Harbor are kind of stuck. They're not going to drive someplace else and fill up. Most people... Uh, you know they'll go to they'll go to Sam's Club or something and fill up when they get the chance. Now there's a there's a BJ's in Bangor. <clears throat> they use the same price as Sam's Club. Presque Isle uh, diesel, by the way, all over Lower Maine is two nineteen. In Presque Isle it's two forty nine, and they're all the same. Five stations of Presque Isle, all the same price. They do that in Lincoln, too. Now they jack it up as high as they can, and they're all at the same level. Eventually, you reach a point where people will stop by them, and they'll drop it down a little bit. Now, last week, I spoke about LIBOR and how they, how they pass money around the world every 24 hours. Large, I mean, huge sums of money get sent into various banks in different time zones. 
and they'll stay in that time zone until the next one opens up. And they'll collect the interest on those deposits for an hour, and then it'll go to the next one. And this money electronically travels around the world. Now, it's obviously, it's not possible to fly around the world to deposit the cash. It's all done on computers. Most of the money in circulation in our country is on computers. And as I talk about Billy and Susie, when they when they buy a house, the bank writes a check, a bunch of checks. The bank, well, let me back up. The bank writes one check to the closing agency, the title company. The title company then turns around and he writes a check to the seller of the house, and he gets hundred thousand dollars less his real estate transfer tax, he pays off his own mortgage if he has one, he pays his real estate broker if he has one, and that's how it works. The town gets paid, the water water company gets paid, the septic or sewage company gets paid, and uh, that's, that's how it works. Lots of little checks. But the bulk of the money goes to the seller. Let's assume he didn't have a mortgage. He takes that check and he drives down to North Carolina and buys a boat. Now the guy that sold the boat has the money. And that's how our economy works. But the thing to remember is that when Billy and Susie bought the house, the bank wrote the check based on nothing. They simply wrote the check based on their expectation that Billy and Susie are going to pay off this 30-year mortgage on a monthly basis for the next 30 years. Now, more than 50% of the marriages in this country end in divorce. Susie finds herself a new boyfriend or... Billy finds himself a new girlfriend, and they split. Neither of them is making enough money to make the mortgage payment, so the bank forecloses on the house. And the bank gets the house. They end up auctioning off the house. And actually, it's not the bank that auctions it. It's... it's uh, FHA or Fannie Mae, one of the federal mortgage insurances, because if the truth be told, no bank is going to lend money on a house where there's very few job opportunities. So Billy is driving a truck, and Susie is working part-time in the convenience store. But together they can scrape together enough money to make a mortgage payment and have a house. The American dream. But the bank knows that the mill's going to go down. Like in Madison, the mill did go down in Madison. It's unlikely to start up anytime soon. I don't think the mill in Madison is going to be cannibalized and destroyed like the mill in Millinocket. East Millinocket is still standing there. Don't know that status. But the mill in Millinocket is flat gone. The mill in Bucksport is just about gone. The power plant is still there. Don't know if that's going to run or not. They're trying to keep that running. For a while, they burned up old tires in the power plant. They put the tires through shredders and use that as fuel along with wood chips and bark. And they, uh, you know, it's good, efficient electricity. Bucksport has got a great port. Uh, Jacob Buck is uh, who the town is named for. And there was a port there, and ships would come into Bucksport because the tide and the current isn't as fast there as it is in Bangor. There are boats that used to haul uh, fuel, liquid fuel, diesel, bunker sea, whatever, 
up to, to Bangor. And they would offload on the Bangor and Hamden side, and there was just a whole bunch of tanks along the river. And anything to transfer liquids, there's some spillage. And over, over the years, it builds up and builds up, and there's a lot of oil in that soil. And on the other side, where the Eastern Fine Paper Company was, and that was changed hands a number of different times. But that was a small mill made specialty papers. And uh, 1990, uh, I was working in the paper mill at Lincoln. And I had worked in mills that had cedars. So they asked me to go down to to uh, Brewer, to that mill, and work with the finishing superintendent down there for a little while because they had a huge order for map paper. And they were going to be sheeting map paper 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I was a former military officer. Anytime the federal government wants to print huge quantities of maps, something's cooking. <laughs> and we didn't have iPads. We didn't have laptop computers. Or I, I had one, but they were not in widespread use, and the battery life was not great. So they had uh, they had a huge order from the federal government. And, that's, and then, of course, 1991, we went down, went in and smacked down Saddam Hussein. So we needed a whole lot of maps of the Saudi Arabia and Iraq and all, the whole region. I mean, we were operating out of uh, Saudi Arabia, our squadrons. The stealth fighters operated out of Saudi Arabia. The Saudis had built a whole bunch of hangars. Bomb-proof hangars. I mean, they were really rugged hangars. Most of our hangars have, have uh, the metal buildings, economical-type metal buildings, cheap to build. And you can take a bunch of uh, rolled insulation and fasten it to the inside, and it keeps the, keeps the hangar warm in the wintertime. And most of the big hangar doors are on rollers, like railroad wheels. But they had huge, huge, well-defended, well-protected hangars in, in the southern Saudi Arabia, right out in the middle of the desert. One thing that I always wondered is, how do they get water out there? Maybe they've got a pipeline. But there are a few wadis and oases in Saudi Arabia. And the native people in Saudi Arabia, the the the, uh, the nomads, are highly respected, and they're subsidized, and they live the, their life the old way. I mean, they've got paved highways, and they've got limousines, and Saudis are rich. There are a lot of rich people in Saudi Arabia. But the traditional nomads... Wandering around out in the desert with their camels, and maybe they have pocket GPSs today, but they they preserve their old ways to a large extent. And they're unique people, and they're highly respected by the modern rich Saudis. So, kind of a Kind of a leap from from map paper in Brewer, Maine to nomads in Saudi Arabia, but it's all connected. It's all connected, and if you, if you can see the connections, you can develop a an attitude of preparedness to deal with coming events. I spoke about LIBOR, London International Bank overnight rate. And the 20 guys in New Jersey, they were running this thing. 
And these are guys all have master's degrees in economics from Harvard and Yale. But they're young guys. They're all under 35 years old, and they're just, they understand the system as it exists. And something that we need to understand is that these guys absolutely know that it's fixed and corrupt. And they live and work with the system and its corruption. And they make it work. And people go into the bank. A lot of people today have direct deposit, even if they're driving a logging truck. They'll have it directly deposited into their savings account or checking account. Most people not saving is going to their checking account. And that's that's what they do. Well, that checking account is vulnerable. All financial instruments are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to being hacked. They're vulnerable to being appropriated by the authorities. And when you open a savings account, you get this big form to fill out. And you, you know, you fill in your name and your address, your social security number, and your name of your employer and where you want your automatic deposit funds to go, which account, usually your checking account. But on the back of it, on a savings account, down near the bottom in fine print, it says that bank may need to delay dispersing your your money to you. What belongs to you, it's in the bank, but the financial industry regards this as the bank's money, even though it's your money. You have entrusted it to the bank for safekeeping. You know, people used to put money under the mattress in the bed. The house burns down, the money's gone. And the banks used to emphasize that. You don't want to carry too much cash. You know, you want to keep it in the bank because you're vulnerable to losing your cash. And the bank, you know, sees this as an asset. All the banks together have this amount of money as an asset. That's the direct deposits. But then... In addition to what they call ready money, are these derivatives. Now, the bank has invested money, your money, in derivatives. A highly risky situation. And yesterday, I heard on the radio that Bundesbank is down to under 3% reserves, 2.8, something like that, reserves. That's the biggest bank in Europe. It's a big bank. And as part of their reserves, they have $70 trillion in derivatives. Now, I've mentioned before that there, in the world, there are more than $700 trillion in derivatives out there that will never be redeemed by anybody. It's funny money. The system knows it. And they are not going to be able to collect on it. It's just kind of... It's this funny money that the banks have created out of nothing. And what they do is they sell shares in the interest payments that they hope to get. So if the interest rates aren't coming in, the value of the derivative declines. So Billy and Susie split, and they stopped making payments on the house. Or people stop making payments on their car. There's one guy in Maine, a logger, 
pulled into the back parking lot of the bank and parked all his logging equipment there. He says, I'm done. I can't do it. There's no way I can service the debt. I just can't do it. And he turned his logging equipment over to the bank, and the bank auctioned it off. Well, those are hard assets. <clears throat> but Billy and Susie, when they lose the house, the bank gets the house. Well, guess what? The house isn't worth as much as it was when Billy and Susie borrowed the money. Millinocket just sold 16 houses for $48,000. Now, that's not each. That's $3,000 per house. This is happening all over the country. And these auction houses, I I took a couple of... uh, jobs with an auction house, they wanted me to do a BPO, a broker price opinion, and or a market value analysis. They call the same thing different things, but this is not an appraisal. It's, it's a gut check based on what the broker thinks the property is worth in that market on that day. And a bank in California asked me to do a broker price opinion on a house in Calus, Maine. It's a nice cape, probably built in the 60s, and uh, no garage, just a house on a house lot in Calus, Maine. And they said it was vacant, and they they said, we want you to gain entrance by whatever means is necessary. Well, the first thing it is, check all the doors and windows. And then I I uh, checked the doors. The real estate brokers gain experience, and they, oftentimes they can get into a house that's locked up without destroying anything. This particular house had a good Schlag front lock, and uh, had about 18 inches of snow. I'm standing there in the snow. My wife is parked across the street in a van. It says the Northern Maine landman and my phone number on the van. She's sitting there doing a crossword puzzle, the engine running. I marched up to the front door, and I tried to drill out the lock. And with a Schlage lock, it's not like a quick set. Quick set is a cheap lock, and and you can get in there with a paper clip oftentimes. But uh, I realized that I wasn't going to, drill out that Schlage lock with a with a battery-powered drill. So I got out my honking big pipe wrench, and I turned the knob on the door. You know, the innards of the lock didn't, didn't let go, but the knob did. I chewed that thing off with a pipe wrench. And... Two police officers walked up behind me, and they're standing there watching me. And they spread out a little bit. Both had their hand on the handgun. Said, "What are you doing?" I didn't even know they were standing there watching me. And I says, "I am breaking into this house." And they says, "You sure are a destructive fella." <laughs> and I said, "Well." Don't get nervous. I took a paper out of my pocket. This the owner of the of the house was this bank in California, and they told me to gain entrance by whatever means was possible. And I was I had a new lock set with me, and uh, which they had mailed to me. And uh, you know, I'm going to replace the lock set when I when I get in there. I went in and took pictures and stuff. It was a nice house. This guy. Had, for whatever reason, whether he passed away or lost his job or divorce, whatever, he just, he was gone. So the officer read this thing and he says, have a good day, and off they went. <laughs> if you're standing there with a vehicle with your name on it and you're breaking into a house, you know, it's probably not something you're going to get incarcerated for. Another bank California. By the way, most of these so-called banks in California are not banks at all. They're mortgage servicing agencies. 
the bank is in red China. That's and the, when they lend money for a mortgage. Oftentimes, the money actually comes from red China. And you pay your mortgage payment to, you know, the Holton Savings Bank. I don't even know if there is such a thing, but some local bank. You make, that's where you send your mortgage payment. They turn around and they send it to California, and then California bundle, bundles them and they send them to Red China. It goes, money goes to the Red Army. That's how it works. But I got this call. They wanted a bank appraisal within 48 hours. A mortgage, mortgage uh, broker price opinion is what they wanted on a residence in Palmyra. That's right near Newport. So I says I can't do it. I says that's ninety miles from where I live. But I have to go to Augusta on Saturday. I'll stop and I'll do the broker price opinion and I'll have it to you by Tuesday morning. Well, all right. So I went out there. And there's this house sitting there in the field. Bob wire fence all the way around the field. Here's a three-bedroom ranch sitting there on a full concrete foundation. No doors. No windows. A ramp leading up to the front door, which was not there, but the front entrance. I walked in there, and a whoop, the floor, the subfloor, was this 5-8 chipboard. And it, it was all rotten. But you can see where the chipboard was sagging between the floor joists. So you walk along the floor joists, being careful where you put your feet, and the kitchen sink was gone. The commode was gone. The wash basin was gone out of the out of the bathroom. The cupboards were gone out of the kitchen and the bathroom. But the bathtub was in there, and it was water trickling in to the bathtub. And that's where the sheep and the goats were watering. They go in there to get a drink in the old bathroom. Sooner or later, they're going to go through the floor because they don't know about floor joists. So I took pictures inside and out, walked around the back, had a walkout basement in the back. I mean, it had been a nice house at one time. And I don't know how it was that the bank finally got around because this didn't happen overnight. I mean, this house had been vacant and in this in this condition for a few years and maybe there was some servicing agency that was making the payments until finally the money was gone and the family i mean maybe the homeowner uh had a catastrophic illness and the family didn't realize that payments were being made on this derelict property until finally the money was gone and these things do happen you get the major interruption in your life and things get disconnected. So I filled out my mortgage broker price opinion and it had a negative value. It it was uh, it was a small lot that was surrounded by a field years ago. And I put down a negative $1500 value. Because for fifteen hundred dollars, the Palmyra Fire Department would burn it. They'd charge fifteen hundred dollars to burn it, and that would be that. And then get some training out of it. Well, a guy called me up from California when they get up in the morning out there, and it was about noontime here, nine o'clock in the morning when they open up there in California, and he's, "What are you doing? You can't be serious." I said, "Yep, you got the pictures." That's what you got a mortgage on. Have a good life. I didn't get paid for that broker price opinion. <laughs> they just never sent the check. What am I going to do? Sue this outfit in California to get my money? I think the the strangeness of it all was almost worth the, the experience. It's one more lesson in how our economy really works. Last week, I had just uh, just learned about the events in Dallas, and I 
didn't know very much. And I said that when this show was played on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, bear in mind that it was pre-recorded on Friday. So they, I said, you're going to know a whole lot more Saturday morning than you did on Friday. But this is what happened. Some Somebody shot 11 Dallas police officers, five of whom died, and two civilians in the area were injured. And I speculated probably by ricochets. And that was true. There was one woman who had two Dallas police officers lying on top of her, protecting her, because she had fallen in in the midst of all the chaos. I don't know if she had a sprained ankle or something, but one of the police officers lying on top of this woman was killed. The woman was not hit by gunfire. And she was on TV this week and just tearful that these two men had had protected her at the risk of their own lives. And there were lots of extraordinary, you know, courageous events that occurred. And, uh, <laughs> and we've all seen, you know, images. I didn't follow it all week. I don't have time to do that. But I turned the TV on. That's what would be on there. And there was uh, one police officer just yelling at a newsman with taking photographs of taking video. He's get out of here, go, go now, you know, because the gunfire was still going on. And this photographer, like Ernie Pyle in World War II, this guy exposed himself in the middle of battles numerous times, uh, taking photographs of soldiers. And uh, and getting their stories. That's this guy was doing, and finally he you know, decided, yeah, he better get out of here, and he did. He was uninjured. So this Dallas thing was was terrible. We know that that the shooter had served in the U.S. Army in the reserves. He had been to, been to. Uh, been deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan, I forget which. The soldiers all call it the sandbox. Same stuff, different place. And he uh he was his deployment was cut short because he was sexually harassing another soldier. He brought home and he was he was discharged. He was given an honorable discharge despite that behavior. Now, usually when you get a misfit who is just incompetent and can't do it, he will receive a uh, a general discharge. This says, look, you're done, fella. Go home. And they'll give him a general discharge. And then there's the dishonorable discharge where a guy has just dishonored himself in the military and he should not be allowed to serve and is given a dishonorable discharge and goes home. He's gone. That is dangerous to your your reputation. Many people in the country will not hire you. If you get a dishonorable discharge, you're, you're a pariah. They don't want you working for them. You've demonstrated that that you're harmful. So this guy, uh, he was, because he didn't have a dishonorable discharge, he had a general discharge. He was able to buy firearms just like everybody else. You walk in the gun store, get a check, and the check comes up okay. He has no no uh, court orders against him for intimidating people or. No, uh, no crimes that would indicate he should not own a firearm. You know, get stopped for speeding and still buy a firearm. But you, you know, you hold up a gas station. Used to be gas stations were good places to hold up because there were lots of money. 
No more. People don't hold up gas stations anymore. When's the last time you heard of somebody holding up a gas station? They'll rob convenience stores primarily because they want the beer. <laughs> but uh, this guy was out walking around, no indication that he was planning anything like this. And the press says that he had bomb-making materials in his house. Well, maybe that was his intent. But if you've got pipe in your house, metal pipe, or even plastic pipe, and if you've got string, and you've got duct tape, I mean, these are bomb-making materials in the eyes of the authorities. So if they, they can imagine that you might do some harm, they'll say, he's got bomb-making materials. It's, it's a scare tactic. And you can you can take an inch-and-a-half, two-inch plastic pipe, glue a cap on one end, drill a hole in the other end, put a fuse in it, and glue that cap on, put some weatherproof caulk around the around the hole so it won't get any any moisture in there, and you've got yourself the potential for a bomb. It's ordinary hardware stuff. And depending on your background and your knowledge, there's a whole lot of different ways to blow stuff up. But this guy in Dallas, I don't recall his name. I wouldn't use his name anyway. He doesn't deserve to to have any publicity. He's one of those people whose names are best forgotten for all time. But this has been going on for a long, long time. They had mass murders back in the 1800s. Somebody would go crazy and they'd murder a bunch of people. And they'd hang them. And that's what was done. A good way to eliminate the threat. They won't do that anymore. But back in the back in the fifties, there was a young fellow named Starkweather out in the Midwest, killed a whole bunch of people. And then down in Austin, Texas, somebody went up in the clock tower at the university with an ordinary deer rifle with a scope on it and started shooting people on the campus. He had some grievance with the university. Maybe they were going to kick him out. Maybe he couldn't he couldn't uh, learn the subject material, and he just was going to flunk out. He decided he's going to take it out on the university and shot a whole bunch of people. And eventually, a private citizen worked his way up there to where he was, and a private citizen took him out. The guy had, at that time, you needed a permit to carry in Texas. And Texas is one of the numerous states now you have constitutional carry, as Maine does. And I had to dispatch a deer alongside the road. The police officer there, off duty, and his lady friend was also a police officer off duty. And neither one of them had a firearm on themselves or in their vehicle. They were going down to a lake for the weekend and didn't bring any firearms with them. So I dispatched the deer. They had permission from the Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. The deer needed to be put down. So I gave my name, my business card, and uh, they were going to wait around and figure out what to do with the deer. I didn't have time to take care of it. I, w- I could have taken the deer and taken care of the deer and gotten some good, fresh, tender meat out of it. Some of the deer is going to be good. Some of it's not going to be good. And the rest of it can be out for coyote bait. And I hope that's what happened with it. I hope somebody got some benefit out of it. And I hope the rest of it, rather than being buried someplace, is just uh, put out for coyote bait. Lots of coyote hunters, which is a good thing. We're knocking down the numbers of coyotes in this area. Now, here we are again. I'm speaking on Friday morning. And last night, there was another massacre. This time, it was in France, in Nice. Nice is on the Mediterranean, on the south coast of France. Beautiful city. It's almost like Monaco. It's a pretty city. It's modern. And there's a promenade along the coast there. There's a a street that goes there. 
But there's also a wide sidewalk called a promenade. People go walking along, and they're going to... Last night was Bastille Day. It's like the French Fourth of July. And it's when the... There were lots of people imprisoned in France for minor infractions. And they... Uh, you know, the people had relatives in the Bastille, which was the great big jail in Paris, and they stormed the Bastille, turned everybody loose. Now, some of those people in the jail should have been in jail. They were committed heinous felonies and were supposed to be in jail, but they just opened up and let everybody out. And that that was part of the French Revolution. And Marie Antoinette famously said, he said, well, gee, you know, people don't even have bread. She said, well, let me eat cake. That was one of the all-time worst political blunders right there. I don't know what happened to her. Maybe she got beheaded. But they got a whole lot of the aristocracy and the clergy because the church was corrupt in France. And the bishops and the cardinals were living high on the hog and their parishioners were starving. And that's the way it was. Off with their heads. They denounced this guy's name and his perceived offenses against the people and down goes the guillotine. His head rolls into a basket and they'd pick it up and Show everybody the head, off he'd go. I don't know what they did for body disposal, but that's what that's how they conducted their revolution. We didn't do ours that way. You know. Well, we were reasonably uh well behaved toward our vanquished foes. Unlike the Redcoats. When you got captured, they'd take you offshore to a prison prison ship and feed you about one quarter of what will sustain you, and people would just get sick and die, and they'd throw them over the side. And some famous people died on British prison ships offshore. They didn't want to bring them home to England because they didn't want them to talk. (laughs) The Redcoats were pretty brutal. But we were a little better. War is is tough, and it's quite brutal. We did not choose to to fight the way the British did because their old old tactics left over from the Middle Ages was to line up in rows against each other and charge and and fight each other until one of the sides surrendered and gave up. They said it's too much for. The cost is too great, and we're going to quit. Fates of nations are determined that way sometimes. But in France last night, along the coast of Nice, a Tunisian individual from North Africa took a heavy truck and drove at high speed right down the promenade. The people had no place to go. At last count, there were over 70 people killed and just run over by this giant truck and and lots of other people injured, but just mowed right down through these crowds. And more than 70 died, according to the news media. So we've got we've got uh, another tragedy. These tragedies are going to continue because these people are Muslims, and because our women don't wear burqas and our men don't get down on a prayer rug and and lean over toward Mecca four times a day, they want to kill us. And they're doing it. 
And they're going to continue to do it until we say no. Now, in Syria, there's the Syrian Orthodox Church. It's like the Greek Orthodox Church, the Serbian Orthodox Church. There is a Turkish Orthodox Church. And up in the northwest part of Iraq, there are Christians uh, that are unusual. It's, it's not like the Baptist Church here in the U.S. But these people are practicing Christians, but they speak Aramaic. Well, guess who else spoke Aramaic? Jesus Christ spoke Aramaic. He didn't speak Hebrew. He probably knew Hebrew. But his first language was Aramaic. And there are Christians trapped on Mount Sinjar. They're surrounded by ISIS. And ISIS will charge up there and grab some Christians and they'll kill the men and keep the women and the girls and the boys for slaves. That's what they do. That's what's in in their book. We need to understand this because it isn't going to get any better. In 1991, when our stealth fighters went in with shock and awe, I mean, the Iraqis could not see them coming on radar, and all of a sudden, stuff all over Baghdad starts blowing up. And it was on Saturday, which is their day off. And they bombed bridges. They bombed the big uh, military headquarters. They bombed the hangars on their airfields. They bombed the control towers and the administrative buildings and on their airfields. And they cratered a bunch of airfields. You know, put a great big hole in the middle of an airfield where the jet fighters can't take off. You know, most of the jet fighters that they had were not rough terrain aircraft. The Russians, the MiG-29 that the Russians have, can land on a frozen lake and change out an engine. The, The whole side of the airplane opens up. You plug in some hoists, man-powered crank hoists, disconnect the engine, lift it out, set it on the ice, take the new engine, lift that up, swing it in there, and plug it in. You plug in the electronic controls, you plug in the hydraulic controls, you plug in the fuel system, and fire it up. They can do this in a few hours. If we want to change the engine in an F-16, it's a big deal. You're looking at a 10-day go-around. But that's the way we think. Our stuff is is very sophisticated and fine-tuned. The Russians don't think that way. We wanted to have a ballpoint pen that would write reliably in zero gravity. We spent a huge amount of money developing this ballpoint pen that would write in zero gravity. They had a little pressurized area over the ink in the top, and they had to regulate that just right so the ink wouldn't bleed out around the ball and make a blot on your pocket when you stick your pen in your pocket. But it had to be pressurized enough that it would flow in zero gravity. The Russians looked at this, and they used a mechanical pencil. Okay? I mean, a mechanical pencil will write, you know, and you've got four or five leads in there. You press the button a little bit, and it extends, and you put it in your pencil pocket, and there you go. In zero gravity, if you lose something, it could be anywhere. (laughs) When I set stuff down, I expect it to be there when I get back. Most of the time it is. But the Russians, uh, you know, have a wholly different, they have a very basic outlook at things. They're like a bunch of farmers. You know, in the military, in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, 
there's a really high percentage of farmers, both in the officer corps and in the enlisted ranks. They know how to do stuff. It's in their genes. It's in their blood. And speaking of farmers, this is a potato blossom festival in Arusta County this weekend. If you didn't know that, it's kind of hard not to know that in Arusta County, but if you didn't know that, there's going to be a whole lot of good food and breakfasts and lunches and dinners all over the place up there for the Potato Blossom Festival. That doesn't just occur in one spot. And it's it's something to watch. They're going to have parades. If you're going to go somewhere, use the back roads because there's going to be parades all over the place. And Route 1 is going to be the primary parade route because it's the main drag going north, except for Route 11. That's got two north-south north, roads in Arista County that are that are uh, significant. Route 1 and Route 11. Oh, I meant to get that off, and I did. Let's see. Donald Trump is supposed to announce his his pick as vice presidential nominee today. And everybody thinks it's going to be Mike Spence. Well, due to the massacre last night in France, Donald Trump has postponed the announcement of his choice for a vice presidential candidate. Now, it's it's interesting that in both parties in our country, a leading candidate has announced that they're going to be the nominee. Hillary announced, I am the nominee. Vote for me in November. He didn't have enough delegates at that time. Trump did the same thing. Trump announced, I am the, the nominee. I am your candidate. He didn't have it. He did not have the votes at that time of the, among the delegates. And the Rules Committee is meeting as I speak, to consider whether to allow the delegates to vote their consciences. Now, this should be kind of obvious in a democracy or a republic, which is what we are. When you select delegates to vote on who the party wants for a candidate in the presidential election, these people should be able to vote their consciences based on what they know. We know a whole lot more right now in the middle of July than we did back in April when the convention was held in Maine. Now, we knew at that time that Ted Cruz had gotten 15 out of 16 counties in Maine. He got the city of Portland But the suburbs of Portland are liberal enough that they didn't vote for Cruz. But the working people in in Portland voted for Cruz. So he got most of the Maine delegates. Now, in Maine, we have something called superdelegates who are automatically you know, a delegate to the National Convention because of their status. So if if you've got representatives and senators, which all states do, they are delegates. And sometimes they'll just appoint somebody to represent them. The governor is a delegate. And he'll appoint somebody to represent him if he doesn't go. Paul LePage is not going to the convention. Paul LePage understands what the convention is going to be like, and he has sent a representative. Don't know that person's name. I could find out, but it's not really relevant. At the convention, there were a whole bunch of people who had been to national conventions before, and if you can afford to do it, it's an interesting experience. But it cost about 1500 to $2,500 to go. And that's not in most families' budgets. 
Well, this morning, the Rules Committee is considering whether to allow the delegates to vote their consciences. You know, pick the candidate that you want to support. In order to do that, the candidate's name has to be placed in nomination. Out of the 13 or 14 original candidates for president, many withdrew early. Others suspended their campaigns, such as John Kasich from Ohio. He suspended his campaign. Ted Cruz suspended his campaign. Donald Trump did not suspend his campaign. So Donald Trump is, but he said, I got the votes. People love me. He doesn't have the votes. So what happens if they allow Ted Cruz's name to be placed in nomination or other people, such as John Kasich, his name to be put in nomination, and Donald Trump on the first ballot, well then, Donald Trump probably won't get the magic number, 1,127 or whatever it is. He may wind up with 1,000 votes, and the other two will split the vote. And then, depending on how the Rules Committee writes the rules today, okay, and you'd think they'd have this kind of lined up and have it all written down, but the Rules Committee will then may write a rule that the candidate getting the least number of votes is out, will not be nominated. He can turn around and encourage the people that supported him to vote for a different candidate such as Donald Trump or Ted Cruz. So if the number three guy throws all of his votes to Ted Cruz and Donald Trump still has only 1,000 votes and it takes 1127 or something like that, it's possible that somebody other than Donald Trump may be the candidate for president, which would make a whole lot of people happy and the Trumpsters, the Trumpites, you know, are backing Donald Trump for the most part because they figure he is the candidate most likely to upset the apple cart. Because the establishment in Washington is dysfunctional and needs to be changed. The only way to accomplish that is to get rid of some of the people. The best example I can think of is Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell went down there, and he was a, an ordinary citizen, established in the Kentucky Republican establishment, and he got elected to the Senate from Kentucky. He went to war against his, his constituents, the coal miners, he went to war against the Republican platform, and he betrayed the United States of America. And he's still down there, and he's a very, very rich man. He got that by being a United States senator. Think about this, people. Pray for the families that lost their loved ones in France. And Donald Trump is not going to announce his pick for candidate for vice president, supposedly because of the massacre in France. And it may be Mike Pence of Indiana. Mike Pence is a big-time supporter of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Dedicated supporter. That's probably maybe Donald Trump has got the message that that might not be a good thing. So, been interesting. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network. 
the Conscious of Maine, broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. You're hearing this on Saturday, July 16th, 2016. Got a beautiful weekend. Be careful. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him. Wise men follow him. Thank God.